Welcome to Monsters of Multiclass. I'm Eliotti. I'm Jared Morgle. And I'm Will Melden. And on this episode, we are taking a look at archetypes from Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So we briefly covered these in our big Pathfinder episode, like comparing it to D&D. Links at the top. It's a cool discussion. Go check it out. But we weren't super comfortable with how they worked then. So we want to do a more in-depth episode on them. We're the multi-classing podcast anyways. I think that's where most of our viewership comes from, covering every D&D multi-class. So we figured... Let's talk about this. It's, we're kind of presented as an overview. We normally don't do educational stuff because that market's very saturated with like D&D, Pathfinder, Second Edition, a little less. So kind of an overview on how archetypes work, our thoughts on them, point out things that we like, certain archetypes that we like, things like that. Yeah, and we're doing this in preparation of our next new segment, which is going to be going through every single archetype and every single multi-class or uh, uh, every single class combination with... <laughs> I think a uh, hundred and fifty archetypes and over twenty classes. We should have videos for the next like okay. ten years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I had the thought of like, okay, we could do each class and have a discussion on archetypes that work well for the class. But on the other hand, these are less difficult to make work than Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition multiclassing, and it's kind of like all of them could work if that's what you want your character to do. Yeah, and, and that's so it's like I feel like there's not a lot of discussions to have there actually. So for like the sake of like the longevity of us having content to talk about, archetypes kind of suck. For the sake of like being a cool system to play with at your table, they're pretty cool. <sighs> but that is honestly a good place to start because it is kind of the the multiclassing equivalent, and just like you said, it's a little bit easier to make work. It's it's generally more of a what is the character concept you have in mind where a lot of times when we talk about multi-classing it is very much you know what's the character concept uh but also how can you make this work mechanically and actually get something out of it um now there are probably times where archetypes might have nothing to do with your character and maybe actively work against it but i think they do a pretty good job of baking into the mechanics of it something that will feel worthwhile throughout the entire levels that you're not you know terribly holding back your class or something um yeah we'll go into it's not as much as a penalty to take them as multi-classing in fifth edition is right uh just to give one like quick example and the the archer archetype the very first thing that you have to take is the archer dedication, uh, where you became become trained in all simple and martial weapons in the bow weapon group. And, you know, so that right out the gate, it's giving you bow proficiency. And then as time goes on, that automatically gets better. Uh, when a class feature that grants you expert or greater proficiency in certain weapons, you gain that proficiency rank in all simple and martial weapons in the bow weapon group. Which means that just for going into this archetype and taking the level two opening feat for it, you're always going to have your bows now be as good as any of your other weapons, which just is like kind of natural scaling. And it, again, makes it a harder bad pick. Maybe you're a wizard and you wanted bows. If that's the class idea you had in mind, great. Are you going to get proficiency a little bit later than the fighter in you know expert weapons? Yes, but you're going to be as good as a wizard can be with a bow. Right. Yeah, the, the biggest thing to look out for is redundancy. Um, like, I'm in a campaign, I'm playing in a Pathfinder, I'm like a fighter with plate armor and a big shield, and there's a, I think it's the Sentinel archetype or something like that, where it basically does that. Right. It gives you, like, 
yeah, experts or whatever in heavy armor and access to things I already have access to. So there's always that sort of stuff to look out for, where it's just like redundant. You don't really get anything from taking this. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. You should probably do that. Yes, the educational yeah. in, bit, in, how it works. In terms of the, the rules, um, there's a lot of, I think, minutia. But to start with kind of the basics, archetypes are things that you select in place of class feats. So there's a huge, huge list. I think in the, the core rule book, there's just one for every class. But as mentioned, there's about 150 now. Uh, and the general idea is that as you level up and you would take a class feat if you don't want it or if you want to take the archetype instead, then you can choose from the list of archetype feats. And as long as you meet all the prereq prerequisites for the archetype feat, you're able to take it. That's really the, the most basic way of putting it. Um, Just there are clarify one thing that you said when you level up, it's when you gain a class feat. That's a fair way. Of Which is, yes, I think, different. every even level for all classes. Maybe there's some that don't follow that, but for the most part, it's like every other level. Yes. Um, there are also some archetype skill feats that would need to be taken in place of a skill feat generally gained from your class when leveling up. Um, something that is neat about the archetypes is you can't jump around them. Once you select an archetype, you must take a certain number of feats within that archetype before choosing a different dedication. Generally, that means you need to take three. Uh, looking through them, I, I saw three as the, the main amount thrown around. I actually didn't see any outside of that. But uh, to give an example, you know, you can't take one barbarian archetype feat, then the acrobatics archetype feat. You need to take three in barbarian. And then if at that point you're like, ooh, also I want to be an acrobatic, that's fine an acrobat, whatever, then you can go into a different archetype. Um, something else is that you can't retrain a dedication feat, so one of your archetype feats, as long as you have other feats from that archetype. So you couldn't like, I don't know, take three and then retrain one and then go over to a different archetype. It It's really just doing a lot to say that the archetypes aren't easy to just hop in and out of. This is, right. you are picking something and you're staying in that lane for a good bit of time. Right, and all future archetype feats have a, the prerequisite of the dedication of the basic. Like I'm looking at, there's the Mauler archetype. You just go into it. You have to take Mauler dedication, which is a second level feat. And then anything after it, prerequisite Mauler dedication, prerequisite Mauler dedication, and so on. And yeah, can, and yeah. So let's even stop right there. And so I guess... What are your initial thoughts with it being a little bit more locked in like that? Obviously, multi-classing, you, you don't have that limitation. You can take a level in Cleric, a level in Paladin. As long as you've got the stats for it, there's nothing stopping you from jumping around. I think it's a necessity to lock it in. because So within Pathfinder, there are very much set rules on retraining things because Pathfinder has a lot of choices in picking ancestral feats, class feats, and so on. I don't know if you can retrain ancestral feats. Not important, but like class feats. Picking new class feats, things like that. It's very much baked into the system and something that's not too hard to do or like in 5th edition. That's just not an option. Your class is your class. Um, if that was as open as it is to archetypes, I think that would be an absolute mess to handle because let's say you take three levels and again, Mauler, um, or you pick three Mauler feet. So you get the Mauler dedication, then clear the way and shoving sweep or whatever, whatever it is at second, six and eighth. Um, and then you decide I'm going to retrain out of Mauler. So you get rid of the Mauler dedication. You now no longer meet the prerequisites for clear the way and shoving sweep. And so obviously you shouldn't get to keep those because that would be weird. 
So now you're lost three feats, and then you get to just go back and freely pick three new archetype feats from like going to another one and completely retrain it, or do you pick three new class feats? Um, it's like this extra level of flexibility that seems really messy and hard to handle. Yeah, I, that's very fair. It it takes. I mean, it, it's already a kind of complicated. Uh, it's it's slightly more complicated than multiclassing, in my opinion. Just archetypes in general. Just because it's slightly more complicated than multiclassing. We made like a pretty <laughs> massive podcast based off of like two and a half pages of rules. This that's the potential happens. for it. That's is the insane. I cannot believe how much crap they rammed into like their multiclassing alternative. I personally love it, but this is pages and pages and pages of specific archetype stuff that is very very complex and i'm sure the the power gamers have found ways to break so many things i i would love to see it but it is very very in depth but the basic rules i would not say are more complicated there's more choices because there's so many because so yeah in fifth edition it's multi-classing you have your now 13 classes and those are the options one class multi-classes with another class this one is you have your 20 or so, however many classes, then what, what did you say? Now 150 archetypes. So Something obviously like the that. archetypes are not specifically related to classes. They can be, and it is then called multi-classing, and we'll talk about it, but it works the same. Um, and so, yeah, there's a ton more choices and a lot you need to dig through, and it does make it like really hard in a sense, like really easy, but also really hard to power game. Because like the really optimal stuff is like hidden. Like there's a lot of reading and thought you have to do to like suss out like the hidden feet, like the 14th level feet of Mauler or whatever. I have no idea even what that is. Again, it's just up on my screen. Um, Hammer Queen. Versus with multi-classing. Yeah, it's, it's easier to kind of <laughs> suss that stuff out. But again, it's, it's you, when you go to pick a class feet, instead you pick an archetype feet. And then you're kind of like locked into the archetype you picked which i think most people are good of anyways because people are probably picking this because it's yeah it's a character idea they have anyway so they want to get better as a medic or a mauler or whatever um and then that's really all there is to it you, instead of a class feat you pick an archetype feat yeah i think where it starts to get confusing for me is the retraining stuff um uh, just because there there's maybe just complexity to, to retraining in general um but the the one thing that i I know I was talking about in our group chat, but I got really stuck on um, there's this whole idea of like once you if you try and like retrain a previous feat, you're like locked into when you took the archetype. So like when you take an archetype, you can't retrain any feats that are of a previous level for this new archetype. So if you're like a six level fighter and you take the the alchemist archetype, you can't retrain a class feat earned before level six into the alchemist class dedication you can only train and retrain on levels earned after the archetype and there's like a couple of little things like that for archetypes that just might come up where it's it's just not as straightforward as you take a level in the class and you've got those things and and that's like you know how fifth edition is it's just all right i'm i'm taking a level in cleric what does that mean it means you have one level in cleric now there's obviously some complexity to like the the spell casting and maybe like warlock yeah. stuff. But I feel like I'm, I'm I feel like you're really stretching to make that point. I'm, 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 I, I'm I found this extremely complicated. And reading through the rules, it was very not straightforward with how it was handled. Because like, like with multi-class, and you say, okay, so you take a level in cleric, so you're just a cleric. It's like okay, but you're so you have your character level, 
which is your class levels combined, cantrip scale on character level, proficiency bonuses scale on character level, not class level. Um, your spells are uniquely figured out based on this new rule and table in the multi-class area. What spells you could cast, though, are based on the individual class level. What spells you prepare are based on the individual class levels. There's a special unique table to figure out what proficiencies you get and what you don't get. Your hit dice are different. Okay, like, I'll say <laughs> multi-classing two spellcasters is definitely the most complicated way to handle it. So yes, there it gets pretty darn confusing, especially when you get into the <clears throat> which which uh, spell list are you casting from. You have a different DC for each one. That right. is, and, oh man, definitely a different complicated uh, ability score modifier. Like if you're an ins caster and a wisdom caster multi-classing, right? Yeah. But that said, like when I was reading through archetypes, just and and again maybe. Maybe I'm a big dumb dummy, but you know what? A lot of us are big dumb dummies and that's okay. And when I read through archetypes, I did not feel prepared to start using archetypes in, in any meaningful way and without help outside help from the internet. Um, Maybe I felt that way with multi-classing too, when I first took a look at it. So maybe at this point, it's impossible to have an unbiased opinion. Um, I I guess I'm going to continue hammering this home. Like, I see a lot of discourse on the internet. It's like, oh, Pathfinder is so simple. I, I will say, maybe I'm stupid and that's okay. <laughs> like some of it just goes over my head because it is very, very dense phrasing and wording and archetypes felt like that for me. You're not stupid, Jared. Um, a lot of the, how a lot of the rule book is written, I find also dense. It's self-referential a lot of times. Yeah where it's like you have to know about this thing in order to understand this, and it just like kind of adds on top of itself. Um, the problem with that is D&D is the exact same way, but they viciously pared down all the references. So their conditions list is teeny tiny, whereas Pathfinder, you're referencing references, and it's got an exponential curve to it. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is something that we complain about about 5th edition. It's like, oh, there's not enough conditions to really satisfy every scenario. So there's a reason why it's there. And every time that I do untangle the yarn, I'm always like, I'm always left with this satisfying feeling of like, ah, this does work and was had a lot of thought put into it. But boy, did it take me a while to get there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I, common experience I've gotten while trying to learn Pathfinder while coming off of Dungeons and Dragons, and also just trying to remember learning Dungeons and Dragons all however long ago, was D and D for most of it, at least fifth edition. It's I could like read it and just immediately grok it. It's like okay, I get that. That's how it works. With Pathfinder, there's been a lot. I've had to reread it and then flip to another page or. I started using stuff online of like because it's quicker, but still having to like, yeah, go down that rabbit hole of different things and like still a little confused and it's not quite there. And then all of a sudden I get to the bottom of my rabbit hole of links, self-referential links. And it's like, oh, and click. There it is. Right. Okay. I got it now. And then it's good. And and that's where I'll just, you know, that's that's where I'm saying it feels slightly more confusing because when I think of this, I always think of it as if I were to teach a new person about this and a very common thing is the free archetype rule that I see brought up. I mean, go look at our Pathfinder video and see how many people commented, hey, the free archetype rule is really common. You should check it out. It was yeah. probably 50% of the comments. Uh, thank you for the engagement. If you're enjoying, please leave a comment so that, you know, feeds the algorithm. Uh, but uh, if I'm explaining this to a brand new person and I want to just hand them archetypes, I don't think I could just give them the rules for archetypes and just leave it. I think if if I were to do free archetypes, I'd say, 
you know, if it's brand new players, all right, everyone, we're going to talk about archetypes and it's going to be, you know, a little bit of time to maybe understand all the pieces of it. Maybe just that first one's not tough because you are just, hey, it's, you know, a free archetype. You're taking it at first level or second level. I think it's everybody okay. gets one at yeah. second level for the free archetype. Um, and, you know, just take it and now there's less confusion. But when you're taking them at later levels and trying to weave it into the, you know, the class features and everything, I think just, I don't know, there's there's guardrails in place that make it hard to abuse the archetypes, but that does add to the intimidation level. And I'll, I'll drop it from there. I mean, it's it's not, you know, rocket science or anything, but it took me a bit. Since you did reference it, the free archetype rule yes. is also, I mean, I... That I do say is straightforward if, if you understand archetypes. So without the free archetype rule, you're sacrificing pissing a, picking a class feed instead of and instead of picking an archetype feed. Whenever you get to pick a class feed with the free one, it's at all the levels where you get a class feed, you also get an archetype feed. Um, all other limitations still apply in terms of not being able to swap out until you get three feeds and the retraining and stuff like that. Uh, so it's... I get why it's popular. We're doing that in the campaign I'm in and I'm, we haven't quite got there yet, but I'm really excited for it because it does let me fully flesh out this character idea um, without having to slow down my main class stuff. Um, and so that feels really good and just very flexible. It does boost overall the power level of the party and the characters. And so it's just something the DM needs to keep in mind though, since everyone's getting it equally and it's, not like some people get it and some don't. I don't think it should be too hard to boost it up. And a lot of archetypes are more less combat focused and more kind of out of combat specialization. And my understanding is it doesn't have as huge an impact on balance. You could still, for the most part, run things by their assumed level and be okay. And then if it's things are going really easy, maybe bump things up one or whatever. Yeah, and I do like the way that, I mean, the the free archetypes at the beginning of, you know, say, second level, uh, it, it mentions it right in the rules. Like, uh, you can do it where everybody has the same archetype, and that can mm-hmm. be really cool for, like, a shared backstory. Uh, I mean, we've done pirate campaigns in the in the the past or uh explorer campaigns or whatever and there could very easily be an archetype that is fit for everybody that everyone takes um i am curious how people feel about that because i do worry that if everyone's taking the very first thing in an archetype which is really what you're you really are put into at second level there feels like there'd be a very high chance that everyone feels the same in that skill you know so like if i don't even know if there's a pirate archetype i didn't there is i'm looking at it is there perfect yeah yeah pirate it's adorable all right well let's let's look at that so at level two you have pirate dedication so uh, i'll ignore the flavor but you become trained in sailing lore and or become an expert in it if you are already trained you ignore the effects of difficult terrain or uneven ground caused by a ship's movement additionally you gain the boarding assault action which is a two action flourish you either stride twice or attempt an acrobatics check determined by the gm but usually dc 20 to swing on a rope up to twice your speed if you boarded or disembarked from a boat or similar vehicle during this movement you can make a melee strike that deals one additional weapon damage die um that 
I mean, I don't know if everybody had that. Would it diminish the the free archetype, or is it feel like everyone's a pirate? Yeah, yeah that right, one actually you could, you could board in unison. Yes. <laughs> All right, so that could, one, yeah, that one does seem like it would be a major benefit, and especially that boarding assault does seem really cool. Swinging on a yeah. rope and making an attack—that's that's, that's yeah. awesome, and it does benefit in this case martial characters more than others. And maybe somebody takes trained in sailor already, and now they're an expert. Whereas in this case, everyone just has a basic level of sailing lore, and you can still set yourself apart by being the one who's an expert in it. Yeah. It, just to note, it does have a weird prereq. You have to be trained in intimidation. That I don't is love, uh, I, but I mean, everyone is able to do that. I don't think there's any class where you don't get to just get a couple free skills to pick. But yeah, so the, you having the trained intimidation prerequisite. Uh, it, I guess you you could potentially ignore it if you wanted to. Maybe it still makes sense for everyone to take intimidation just because you're pirates and you want them to all be intimidating. So. We'll go with it anyways. I'm not sure that would break the game, though, to just say, all right, you don't have to be trained in intimidation for a free feat. And so specifically with this pirate one that we happen to grab here, it actually is a really good example of how situational and specific these could be. And in this case, I think is really great. I know with 5th edition D&D, when we come across really situational like class features and things like that, we're usually pretty down on it. Because in 5th edition D&D, there's usually not enough option to back it up, or it's the only thing you can take. There isn't even an option. And so it kind of sucks to have something where they're only in very specific campaign types or adventure types or really, really unique situations that'll actually work. Here with the archetypes, they kind of backed it up to make having a bunch of really situational things worthwhile with 150 of them if 70 of them are really situational, like this pirate one, where if you're not spending the majority of your campaign or adventure on a boat, probably as a pirate, don't take the pirate one. It's worthless to you. The stuff it gives you will not come up at all. But it doesn't matter because you have 149 other choices. And you're So also- I actually really like how they gave you, they really dove into all sorts of like, just trying to imagine different archetypes that characters want to play, different yeah. character concepts that they have in head and then pe- people have in their head and giving options to make it happen, even if it's not going to be like a good core choice. And you're also so much less locked into those choices too, where if you do want to take the pirate dedication, obviously you have to take the the level two pirate dedication feat. But after that, if you want to choose, you know, you want to skip the level four one, the level five one, and later you're at level 10 and you're like, ooh, you know what? This archetype makes sense again. Let me take that instead of my class feature. It really just offers you the choice of it. And even if you're level 10 and don't want to take the level 10 one, you realize that now it actually has synergy with that level five pirate ability that before you were ignoring because it was a, a skill archetype that you feed that you just didn't really care about. I mean, it, it just feels like options instead of like you said, locking you into a worthless ability. Um, and then there are also definitely ones where they are just kind of solid choices for a lot of different characters, like medic. Is a good one for someone to always have like the medic archetype. So there are that stuff does still exist. Uh, Cause like the medic that you, so you need to be trained in battle medicine, which also means you also need to be trained in medicine. And then right away, then it bumps you up to an expert in medicine and battle medicine and treat wounds is improved. And as things go on, it keeps improving how you can use your medicine skill. Um, whereas like any character could benefit from that. If you're okay being that healer. 
type where it's not as situational as pirates. So there's kind of that mix. More general ones where kind of be good in any campaign, any setting, and then the really specific ones to realize character archetypes. Yeah, and to still even go into like this idea of their of, of it being specific, um, you know, <laughs> when you compare it to just let's say feats in fifth edition, which obviously this isn't the same thing as feats. It's kind of a mix between feats and multi-classing and whatever else. Uh, you can even say it's a mix of backgrounds as well um if you still say like oh well you know 150 they're they're hyper specific and some of them are even like uh to the point that it's like you know like the guns and gears ones i see a lot of those on here they're talking about like driving vehicles and whatnot so it's like okay there's 150 but some of them are just so specific they'll never come up if you take all all of those if you just took the ones that were kind of general your sentinel your uh, just reading some off here, like a scout, all of those, you still have more archetype choices than you do feats in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. <laughs> so in each of those is obviously its own feat tree. So it is kind of ridiculous. I, I'm entirely with you, Ellie. Just the, the specificity is is a boon in this case. By no means is it a bad thing. Right. Oh, that's so weird. We sh- They've got pirate in here twice. There's pirate and then there's swashbuckler. <laughs> Small companies make oversights like that. So this is new content for us and a new thing, which means it's probably going to reach a different audience. And I don't know if that inside joke is going to land. I don't care. This Welcome to Monsters of Multiclass. Sometimes we've got long running jokes. If you don't Mo- like probably. it. Go watch 150 episodes of our shit to understand it. I think this is going to be 172. (laughs) The best part about it is the pirate dedication gives you a flourish, which is specifically a swashbuckler thing. (laughs) So they, they, they know. They're in the, they're in it. (laughs) Uh, So all of this said, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the actual multi-classing rules because they, they are in here. Well, we won't talk about it much, but um, what did we want to say about it, Ellie? (laughs) Do you mean like when you, um, so it's still the archetype rules, but then in addition to pirates, archer, medic, there, each class exists on this list as well. Um, Like here's which just as an example. And, this is considered to be multi-classing, but it's still basically the archetype rules. These all have a prerequisite, though, for an ability score. So, like, the witch, you need intelligence 14. So, just a little more limited for that. Um, but otherwise, it does work the same. When you were to take a class feat in your main class, you could then take a witch class feat or whatever it is that you pick. It could get where it gets a little complicated is spell casting. Um, that's a little different based on which ones you pick, but it does lay out in the dedication specifically how that spell casting works. Like what access to spells you get and stuff. Right. Yeah. What I was uh, poorly segueing into because I used the wrong, wrong terms was actually the dual class stuff. Oh, okay. But that's okay. It's still good to, to talk about the, yeah. you know, multi-classing and what it looks like yeah. in here. Um, no, dual classing is what the, multi-classing equivalent is in fifth edition of actually taking different uh like a a separate pc class um we're not gonna go too far into that it doesn't seem to be nearly as as popular as an option as the archetypes and free archetypes even um Mm -hmm. yeah so the archetypes exist in the um advanced player 
book or they're actually in the core the core rule book for the the basic archetypes are they? Has, yeah it has yeah. all of the class archetypes for for multi oh okay okay then the other ones in the uh the advanced one and then yes. in the game master's guide that's where you have the variant of the free archetype which is very popular and the variant of dual classing which is not as loved um we have not experimented with this at all just but we feel like for the sake of thoroughness we should mention it it is literally taking two classes and every time you get a whenever you level up you level up in both classes like, I mean, these are ultra powerful characters with huge versatility. It's recommended if you have like a really small group, if you're playing with like a party of two, let them dual class so it could kind of be like a party of four. There are rules in terms of how health works, how proficiencies and trainings work and all that, um, which are actually pretty straightforward. It's similar to fifth editions. Like you take the higher of the two or, but yeah, a lot of things combined, some things don't. It's, I'm, we're not going to go through the nitty gritty of... No, specifically well, what it sounds really really over the top i think it could be fun to play around with for like a really like high power level campaign but it also sounds really messy and difficult to handle because like there's a lot of choices to be made yeah i'll say that's one that we'll we'll make a video on it if people seem interested maybe yeah, um, or if we ever actually play it, it play with dual classes we don't have to play things in order to talk about them <laughs> ellie what are you talking about we're just theory crafting. No, no, you're right, though. I think that is one that's it's worth experimenting with. Um, and based on our mid-level experience with Pathfinder, I'd say I am intimidated by dual classing. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. So that's where then the, the multi-classing, where it's just an archetype of a class comes into play. And a lot of it is just like the... Uh, like, like I said, if it's spellcaster, you get their basic spellcasting. Then, like the four at fourth level, if you take um, again, I just have witch up basic witchcraft. You gain a first or second level witch feat of your choice, and then there's a change to your familiar. So it just gives you access, like limited access to the another class's feat list and spells, uh, while sacrificing the class feat of yours. Um, one of the things that I I like about archetypes is that they do have a like a, a tag on them in terms of their rarity. Some are considered uncommon. Others are, they have like limited, restricted and, you know, rare ones. It's actually really easy for a, a GM to, to just across the board kind of limit these by saying, you know, all right, for this adventure, I don't want any uncommon ones. Or if you have an uncommon one, talk to me because let's see if it actually fits into the setting. Because once you get into the uncommon and rare, they really start to feel heavy specific. I mean, for a standard non, or I'll say a common one, we have Gladiator. Gladiator probably works in everyone's setting. Uh, for another option that's rare, we have Ghoul where you died from a necrotic disease known as ghoul fever and rose anew as a ravenous ghoul. If I was playing and somebody brought a ghoul to my table, I'd say, hey, stop. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not what we're here to do. It's not the game we're, we're agreeing to play. Um, so I just really appreciate that even though there's the, the power balance is expected to be similar for all of the archetypes, and I'm sure some are stronger than others, it's not what we're here for, though. Um, it, it gives a really easy way for a GM to just say, like, yeah, that one's fine. Or maybe we can work that one in or just a flat out no. I didn't see the ghoul one. 
I just have the advanced player guide up and then ghouls and ghouls and something else. Yeah, it's it, Book of the Dead, I think. Okay. Which also well, has the sense. zombie like, archetype. Right. <laughs> Which, w- again, if we're talking about for like everyone playing a campaign, the zombie campaign sounds hilarious. Right, well, like, as a feat, this is great. You fight just as well on the ground as you do standing up. <laughs> you so can just crawl towards has, your enemies. <laughs> the same book has both ghoul and zombie archetype mm-hmm. are they wildly different oh uh, yeah, yeah of course why wouldn't that's they be crazy difference yeah. between ghouls <laughs> and zombies zombie has a level eight feet that's shamble yeah you may oh, be there's slower a ghost than... archetype yeah it's also <laughs> i'm different. sure it's the same book yeah book of the dead yeah all the same right, i'm curious i hear on <laughs> nexus if you could uh filter by no you can't okay just see all the rare ones. I'm sure they're fun. Do a quick skim. I'll cut this. Chrono Skimmer from the Dark Archive. Say Archive? You somehow fell out of the flow of time, if only for an instant, but in doing so, you gained a new perspective. So if someone who fell out of the flow of time. That's super cool. Clockwork Reanimator. You have unlocked the secret connections between necromancy and clockwork locomotion. <laughs> yeah, there's some cool ones. Yeah, and Cursed Maelstrom. You have a powerful curse living deep within you. What this does more than multiclassing, more than backgrounds, more than feats in 5th edition, is it really does allow you as a player to come with a character concept first. I think we've talked about that a lot in D&D, how we generally are class first character creators yeah, we think, what do we want to play? What are the mechanics we want to play? And then we look and see, okay, here's this class. Let me make a backstory based on that. Pathfinder really seems to allow you to come with a character concept. And then it says, here are the tools to make it. You know, you can probably find a background here that is going to fit whatever you come up with. So don't feel like you're going to come up with a character concept and then be limited by the rules. Instead, the rules are there to to facilitate that that growing of of your character naturally not to say there's anything wrong with choosing a class first or that even i'm going to change because that's just how i generally play is i like picking the class first but i think it's a little bit harder to do in dungeons and dragons than it is going to be in pathfinder yeah you mean do the character concept first and then figure out how to make it work yes i think it's harder in dungeons and dragons than it is in, in pathfinder yeah i definitely agree with that um yeah, as we play more Pathfinder, I would like to change that. I have been approaching it from the, that mechanical perspective. Like, I want to try this out. For me recently, um, it's been about trying to figure out fighters. And because I find, I personally find them getting dull in Dungeons and Dragons, like just kind of, just the kind of straight martial and wanted to see the additional options and versatility they would have in Pathfinder. So that's been like a big focus, but I would definitely like going forward kind of more focus on the, like, here's this character that I want to make and the cool shit they do. And then figure out how to get there with the archetype in the class. And it feels like it should be very doable. Mm-hmm. And As also which one that's, I fun. want to do a pirate campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting to look at what, because the analogs here, we're, we are making comparisons, but the reality is that the archetypes were a completely independent system that D&D does not have uh, an analog to. No, uh, no. The backgrounds in Pathfinder are interesting because they are, you know, two paragraphs. They're tiny and they give you nothing. 
the backgrounds in D&D, I think, were one of the biggest swings and a misses they ever tried because they were they were somehow limited, useless, and boring all at the same time in ways that I never expected. They wanted to put nothing useful in them, and so they did. And they succeeded <laughs> wildly at making sure you never even remembered what background you took. And but, I remember and, they were really hyped up. Yeah, they were. And when, if you when it was like the, the D and D next play test packet, and then yeah, when it was coming out, it was this really hyped up thing about like fleshing out your character and all the details you could do. And the background is like such the like last minute thoughts when I create a D and D character. I it's think the last page of D and D, like the, the the mechanical background, I should say, not the background of the character in my head, but like mechanically, what I pick. It's a huge chapter of yeah. the the backgrounds taken in our campaigns for the last eight years have been far traveler. That is like every single time. If you go through and look what, what background people take, because it's very basic of just, you've traveled a lot and then you just get a couple extra languages. So it's easy to forget. And occasionally it'll come up. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do you all even know what your backgrounds are right now. Yeah. I, I picked a custom one. Up the Indy Man. You did a custom one. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I could pick skills. I wanted that's fine. I, I That's might my background. Let me, let me pull up Rose. But the fact that you don't know it like right top yeah. of mind is it just says. And like this is yeah, this is and like she's a super fleshed out character with a very very set background and a whole bunch of shit going on there. And it's like the mechanical background. Like I, I don't remember what I picked. I don't even know where to find it in D and D Beyond. <laughs> like on the character <laughs> thing. Maybe description. Nope. Probably around after racial. Nope. <laughs> Can't even find it. Folk um, hero. Which, okay, that's that's okay, kind of fits. Yeah. yeah. But what does it give you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, rustic hospitality. Since you've come from the ranks of the common folk, you fit on, among them with ease. You can find a place to hide, rest, or recuperate among other commoners unless you have shown yourself to be a danger to them. I love the idea that that's a hard thing, that you need a background for that. Right, People yeah. will give you hospitality because you're a folk hero. Like, okay, but also if I go into any town, there's usually an inn that I can pay like three silver for and be fine. And if we were in a situation, let's let's describe one where you all are on the run from the law and you get into a town and... Ellie, you say, oh, Rose has the folk hero background. I would like to, you know, speak with, find a, a commoner and and try to see if they'd let us uh, stay with them for the night and keep us away from the law. Be like, you don't know anyone here. Like, unless you are, are part of this town in some capacity, I'd be like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, just because your class feature says it, now I have to be like, oh, everyone knows of, of the Drake Warden and that, of course, they're going to shield you from the law. It's just... It doesn't make any sense. Right. Also gave me animal handling and survival. The skills you get from it are the most important part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, artisan tool proficiency. I don't remember which one I took. Alchemist supplies. That's come which up. Whichever comes up. And uh, land vehicles. <laughs> uh, land vehicles came up. It did i don't remember why but it's it's not important i think we can the all agree that backgrounds are pointless Let's, i think yeah. the important thing to note is that it it is interesting and like notable when it comes up it's like oh i'm good at land vehicles why oh why am i good at that <laughs> <laughs> in the back That's, of my mind somewhere 
hey, that that one's on the player, not on not on the the rules. Well, no, because it's not on the player because D and D fucked it up too bad. It's just these they're worthless and they don't accomplish what they want you to be accomplishing. And so what they did is they eventually conceded that feats were going to be where they were going to ram a bunch of that stuff. But feats are a very simplistic tool. And this is what I like so much about archetypes is they are leveled feats. They've got a multi-tiered system that you can pick and choose from. Because if you look at these archetypes, especially the advanced ones, not the multi-class ones, you're going to immediately say, hey, wait a second. Those are D&D feats that are either relatively recent or classic ones. And they accomplish what those feats set out to do 900 times better than D&D does. And that's what I really like about it. Yeah. And even if you're not using it just like for the flavor to like capture this perfect character and unique character concept you have, and it's just kind of more of a mechanical thing, it's still really great that they exist because very easily could you you get a new class feed and you read through them and you're kind of like lukewarm on all the choices. Like, oh, I've kind of picked some other stuff and a lot of these feel obsolete or don't mesh with what I have. I'm not really thrilled of any of these class feet choices. Let me go pick an archetype. And, you know, p- pick a common one to make it not so crazy that, you know, you could all of a sudden do this. But there you go. You could still get something you're excited about instead of having to pick, like, a lukewarm option. Is that it? Is that end of discussion? You know what? I'm never lukewarm about using <laughs> fan roll dice and using the code MM10 to get 10% off my order. No, that I'm hot about. Uh, I don't like the phrasing of that. No. Uh, well <laughs> you too can be hot on dice hot for dice using the code mm10 check out fan roll dice and use the code mm10 to get 10 percent off your order uh they have beautiful dice metallic dice as well as gemstone dice and just regular resin dice liquid core dice which are sparkly in the center really pretty dice trays dice towers Tons of options. Go check them out. Uh, and thank you, as always, to our patrons, uh, whose names are Cameron C, Ed G, Brian H, Craig A, Star Shinobi, Isaac M, Jeff W, Vincent M, Luca L, Muddleweight, Bob F, Joe P, Rick D, Sentinel D20, Tyler S, Gray, Barons, Adam A, Rob K, and Sir Laugh-A-Lot. Uh, thank you all so much. And if you want to check out the Patreon, you can head on over to monstermulticlass.com forward slash support, where you can find a link to that as well as all of our other affiliates. Uh, joining the Patreon will get you early access to episodes most of the time, as well as show notes. Um, and probably should have said this earlier, but if you enjoyed the episode, like, comment, subscribe, all of those things would actually really like to hear people's thoughts on archetypes. I know we saw, as I mentioned, tons and tons of comments saying that the free archetype rule was really common and and very much uh liked by pathfinder players fantastic tell us how you've seen it used you know have you been in a campaign that had everyone starting with one archetype did it feel good did it feel bad were there some options that maybe don't line up well uh with with everyone taking it at the start uh and just share us with your friends please (laughs) yeah and as always thanks for watching